Welcome to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast. We are always ready, always there. This podcast series is a production of the State Public Affairs Office. Thanks for tuning in to this, the 22nd installment of your New Hampshire Guard podcast. I'm your host, Tech Sergeant Charles Johnston with Public Affairs, and today we're going to be talking about the New Hampshire Army National Guard Chaplain Corps. And I'm joined by Specialty Branch Technician Sergeant Victoria Canalupo and Chaplain Major Will Mullins. Thank you for joining the show today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Sergeant Canalupo, so you have two very different jobs, correct? And, and can you explain that? I do, yeah. So I am a drilling member of the New Hampshire Army National Guard. I currently drill with JFHQ as a culinary specialist, and I've been doing that for six-ish months. Prior to that, for nine years of my almost 10-year career, I was with the 39th Army Band as a vocalist, all doing that on the weekends in our two to three weeks of AT, which is super fun. My full-time National Guard job that I do in a nine-to-five sense sometimes is the specialty branch technician for the officer strength team. Chaplain Mullins. Chaplain Major Will Mullins. I'm the full-time support chaplain uh, for the state. And before joining the New Hampshire Army Guard, which I've only been a part of for about a year, uh, thanks Sergeant Cantalupo for ushering in my packet. I was a chaplain for the Air Force for 15 years. And before that, I was an enlisted member in the Air Force. Uh, I was a jet engine uh, inspector. Also a pretty interesting path. And for people who don't know, maybe we should just start with what is what is the chaplain corps? What, what is a chaplain? What does a chaplain do? I guess you're going to make me answer that one, right? I Sorry, am, yes, sir. Okay, I can take that. <laughs> So the chaplain is a religious professional in a military uniform. And as a religious professional, they do many of those things that we would expect a pastor, a priest, a rabbi, or an imam to do, which is to aid people in their belief systems and to perform religious rituals. What's different about a chaplain is they wear a uniform, which means they have to adhere to a certain kind of physical standard, a certain kind of training. And they have to be able to place themselves uh, with the soldiers wherever they may be. So it's a religious professional within a military context. And given that the military represents a lot of different beliefs, chaplains also represent a lot of different beliefs. So it's not like you're serving a church. You're serving a broad institution with a lot of diversity in it. So chaplains understand that they're also officers, and so they do the work that most staff staff officers would do. And so a chaplain is, like I said, a soldier in a uniform, but also a religious professional. One of the questions that comes to mind, at least for me, is, you know, there's a difference between a chaplain and a pastor. Uh, other than the uniform, I think you touched on it a little bit with the diversity aspect of things. But w what is the difference? How would you, how would you dis define that? You're in seminary right now, Sergeant Cantalupa. Why don't you why don't you take a stab at this? You've probably thought about this quite a bit. I have quite thought about this quite a bit. So I'm in seminary right now. I am not a pastor to a church. I am legally a pastor to the state of New Hampshire. I'm allowed to officiate weddings. Um, I would say the biggest difference between being a pastor for a church or a house of worship, whatever you want to call it, is that 
you minister to people who mostly have the same spiritual beliefs as you. Whereas if you're a chaplain in a hospital setting, in a military setting, in a corporate setting, you're going to see a huge diversity of people and you have to practice something called pluralism, which means that you have to respect everybody's beliefs. You don't have to adhere to them. You have to minister to them as best as you can. And then if once you've gotten to that point, you either need to assess if you need to bring somebody else in or if there's another resource that you can provide that person spiritually. So the chaplains are are conduits to a lot of different services and uh, counseling. You know, you you conduct worship uh, services and you uh, you guide commanders, you advise commanders on various things. Could you speak to that a little bit, please, sir? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to follow up just very briefly on some of the things that Sergeant Cantalupo mentioned, which I think are just insightful. One of them is. The Army has a certain way of understanding what it means to be a chaplain, and the motto is for God and country. And so obviously a chaplain has a certain kind of faith perspective, a certain tradition, but that faith tradition is played out within an institution of the Army. And the Army has its own role, which is to fight and win our nation's wars. And so we have to provide religious help to individuals who have to place themselves in harm's way. And that's that's a that's a that's a burden, and it's a burden that chaplains willingly take on. But they have to realize that the context of their religious ministry is not to save souls or to to have a big church or to fill the offering plates. It's to minister and to provide support for individuals who have to place themselves in in harm's way, mm-hmm. and. One of the ways that chaplains understand their work in the Army is what we call we, we nurture the living, we care for the wounded, and we honor the dead. And so those three movements of chaplaincy has within it religious rights, but it also has within it care for our nation's warriors and what they need most as they serve their country. You mentioned uh, ethical advising. Ethical advising, you know, uh, chaplains in some respects represent the soul of the Army. And so they care deeply about the morale of the average soldier, and they're able to tell leaders and commanders what soldiers are going through in that moment and be able to convey that to commanders so that commanders can use that as they make decisions that impact, you know, the force. If I can add to that, a chaplain is also the most confidential resource that a service member has. I was just going to ask about that. So a lot of these, a lot of these conversations that chaplains have with commanders, there's still that layer of confidentiality that that exists. That's right. I mean, uh, the Constitution affords us as citizens certain rights. And one of those rights is the free exercise of religion, uh, which means you don't have to exercise religion. The Army is not requiring you to exercise your religion. What they're saying is the Constitution affords you that right, and since we've put you in a uniform and possibly made you go to Jordan, you can't just hop on a plane and travel back to your church on Sunday. So it's the government's responsibility to provide for you chaplains and chaplain assistants that can help you with your fundamental right uh, to express your religion. Something that we almost missed is the Chaplain's Emergency Relief Fund. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, sir? Absolutely. So the Chaplain's Emergency Relief Fund is a pool of money that um, we can offer soldiers 
who are members of the New Hampshire Army Guard and Air Guard who are faced with a financial difficulty, we can provide immediate emergency relief to that service member, Air or Army. All we need is a receipt and a valid need, and the check can be delivered and help you through a, a process of, of getting those bills paid, but also we'll enroll you in what's called care coordination, and we have some financial planners that can help you budget and get you thinking about how can you not be in this situation again. I also utilized this fund in my sophomore year of college. I was on annual training and I got into a huge car wreck. And because I didn't have a car, I couldn't pay for my meal plan at college. And so the SURF helped pay for that. That's outstanding. It's yeah. helped so many people in the state pay that electric bill, pay that mortgage, pay that car payment when something unexpected has come up. And there's a lot of you know E1s, E2s, E3s, E4s. I was an E4 when I used it. Um, if you're not familiar with that rank structure, those are the people who, you know, have just joined the military. And so, you know, they need a little help sometimes. Mm-hmm. How does one become a chaplain? That is an excellent question. It is uh, somewhat of a long process, as Chaplain Mullins can probably attest to. So for those who don't know, it, in this situation, I am actually Chaplain Mullins' recruiter, in a sense. So I did not work on all of his packet. Uh, he was applying while I was on a COVID mission, and I came back and finished it up. But the process to become a chaplain, you first need an undergraduate. It can be in anything. Mine is in music and media in worship, which is the title of my interdisciplinary degree. So my degree says interdisciplinary studies, and then in very small letters it says that. Uh, Most seminaries that I have come in contact with don't really care what your undergrad is in, um, but you do need a master's that has to be 72 credits. 36 of those credits need to be theology-based according to your faith background. It does not need to be a Master's of Divinity, but that is the most common degree that we come in contact with. It can be a Master's of Pastoral Counseling or anything like that, as long as it meets those credit requirements. And if you are pursuing that degree, you can become a Chaplain Candidate, which is the program I am applying to. It's just a seminary student in a student status, so it's the same thing as a dental or a medical student. Once you have either of those things settled, you do need to be endorsed by a Department of Defense Ecclesiastical Endorsing Agency. There are 174 to choose from. (laughs) Um, You do want to choose one that aligns with your faith background and your values. They kind of offer you protections and they say, you know, this is what we allow our chaplains to do when they're ministering and these are the protections that we offer. Some of them have their own requirements, um, but you do need to have a simple form signed by one of those agencies. So this is a long process, and uh, you're still in the application process on some level. I am, for myself, and then I have two other chaplain candidates in my pipeline, and I'm trying actively to find a fully-fledged chaplain. Um, The application process can take anywhere from 6 to 12-plus months, depending on waivers. You need a Chapter 2 physical, which is just a commissioning physical. It's the same entrance physical that you take no matter what uh, military branch you go into. But if you're currently serving as an enlisted member, you need to go get one that says commissioning on it. It's the same exact physical, just one different box is checked. Um, but sometimes that can trip some people up. We might need medical waivers, but our office is not afraid of putting those in. Um, one really cool thing about chaplaincy in the National Guard is that you do not need full-time ministry experience to apply for the active duty that is a requirement. It's two years. Um, endorsing agencies might require you to do two years or three years of full-time ministry experience to be ordained. Uh, Most of our chaplains are ordained, but you actually don't need to be ordained to be a chaplain either. There are some endorsing agencies that 
do not ordain specific for specific reasons, but they still endorse their chaplains to be chaplains, and that's totally fine. And for those who don't know, what what exactly does that mean to be ordained? I think we should let their pastor handle that one. (laughs) (laughs) It just means that a tradition says that you can stand as a religious leader within that tradition. So whether it's reverend or pastor or priest, there's a lot of different names that we can claim what it means to be ordained. But theologically, it just means setting oneself aside for religious leadership. Another requirement for chaplaincy is that you don't have to be the enlistment age to commission into the chaplain course. The enlistment age, you can't be more than 35 years old to enlist or uh, come in as an officer candidate right now without an age waiver. But chaplains can come in as a completely fully fledged chaplain. You're ordained, you're endorsed, you have a 72 credit master's. You can come in up to age 47 without an age waiver. So if you're 47 or older, we can still put in that age waiver. And the trends are saying right now, up until age 56 is when they're like, eh, we don't really want to approve that. So uh, we say anybody that's 55 or younger, we can definitely look at. And then if you're looking into the chaplain candidate program, you're currently in seminary, you're currently getting that master's, whatever it is, as long as it's the 72 credits, you can be up to age 37 without an age waiver. So 37 and older, you can uh, apply for an age waiver as well. I think what's interesting and a lot of people don't know is, uh, and I was talking to one of the air chaplains about this once, is that not everyone is religious, yet the chaplain corps still has something to offer them. What a great insight. 100%. I tell every, like, every person I come in contact with, even if they're having a great day, I'm like, have you met our full-time chaplain? You should really just know who that person is so you can refer your service members to them in any case. It's just nice to have somebody to talk to. Yeah. We're trying to recruit, as you mentioned earlier, for some vacancies. How many do you have right now? We have four vacancies for the chaplaincy, and we can take unlimited chaplain candidates. Yeah, we got four slots, and some of those slots are with battalions and brigades that are deployed. And so we've had to fill those with chaplains outside the state. And so when you form a relationship with soldiers and then you get a chance to go with them uh, on a deployment, that's where real ministry happens. And so if you're looking to really impact people's lives and be able to practice your faith within the, the context of the Army mission, it's a great job. How would someone contact you or someone within the Chaplain Corps to get started with that? Yeah, so anybody who's interested in applying or even just talking about what chaplaincy looks like, what the application process looks like, you can call or text my government cell phone, which is 603-545-7319. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> can I have my business card? I think that's right. Yeah, yes. I got right here. Oh. I nailed it. I think I have to redo it, though, because I think the last number I dropped. 603-545. You just, you just wanted to give them a wrong number on surface. No, I want applicants. And your email, if you don't mind. Yes, it is victoria.a.cantalupo, which is spelled C-A-N-T-A-L-U-P-O, dot mil at army dot mil. And what about a soldier who is just seeking chaplain services we can obviously go through our chains of command uh but for those uh, confidential type things those uh, those direct contacts that uh, soldiers are allowed to have with the chaplains how does one accomplish that 
So if you're a service member or you're a veteran and you're listening to this and you feel like you want to speak to a chaplain, then call my duty cell phone, uh, 603-496-3595. Give me a call and I'll do my best to see what I can do for you. Outstanding. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast. Okay, do either of you have any chaplain jokes you want to share? <laughs> I don't yet. You know what? I don't think chaplain sees that funny in that sense. I don't. <laughs>